Buenos dias. Bonjour. Howdy. How are you doing this morning? When we were missionaries in Peru for 19 years, we came home every four years and had what was called stateside assignment. And uh, one time uh, I was at a missions conference. This is my wife, Robin, over here. Say hi to Robin. And uh, this, this 10-year-old kid raised his hand when I said something like that. He said, Mr. Missionary, Mr. Missionary, how many languages do you actually speak? I said, three. He said, oh, three languages, really? I said, yeah, English, Spanish, and Texan. Okay? So this morning, if it's okay with you, we'll speak Texan because uh, that's, that's a good way to speak. All right? I'm delighted to be with you here this morning. I'm sorry that I have to be here because your pastor is ill, uh, but life happens, doesn't it? And so uh, we're delighted to be here and uh, share with you this morning a word from the Lord. Um, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Tarrant Baptist Association represents some 387 churches. You guys are one of those. And uh, we do a lot of things together in leadership development and church planning and community engagement. I'm not going to talk to you a whole lot about that this morning, but uh, just to let you know that we are grateful that you guys uh, collaborate with us and 386 other churches that are part of Tarrant Baptist Association working cooperatively to accomplish God's mission in Tarrant County and beyond. So thank you for being a part of that. You live on a wide avenue. It has three lanes going both ways, coming and going. And you've got some new neighbors that have moved in next door to you. You haven't really met them, but you think maybe those next door neighbors uh, have some small children, but you don't know that for sure either. But this is a busy avenue that you live on. Your house is right in front of the avenue. And one day you're out working in your front yard and you hear this blood curdling call from the lady next door. She's screaming at the top of her lungs, my baby, my baby. And her three-year-old has escaped from the front door. He's making a beeline. Because a car. What do you do? You don't really know the family. You're out just taking care of your own lawn. What do you actually do in that situation? I would suggest to you, for a Christian, your compassion kicks in. You move into action because of the situation that you see developing. You drop your water hose and your garden tools and you run to that avenue. At the last instant, you grab that child as he's just about to step off the curb into the busy traffic where he very easily could be killed. That's compassion expressed. That is living out uh, a calling in one's life that I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to us this morning about compassion as exhibited by our Creator God, okay? Now, compassion takes a lot of different potential facets, uh, aspects to it, but I want to address uh, some specific ones. But let me just tell you something. I've been reading through the Bible this year, and one of the themes that I see throughout the Bible is this concept, and it's not just a concept, it's a reality of compassion. The Bible is replete, full of examples of compassion of God, of Christ, and other examples in the New Testament. We'll look at some of those this morning. Uh, when Jesus walked up on the earth, his, his life, we know, was an example, just completely full also of acts of compassion towards those he encountered in his daily routines of life. Let's get a handle on compassion, okay? It's not just a word. It really has a meaning. It has some deep 
uh, connotations that I think we need to look at uh, this morning. Simply stated is to recognize the suffering or wayward path of others and then take action to help. Action is the operative word here. Compassion embodies a tangible expression of love for those who need it to improve their life situation or set them on a better life path. Another aspect of compassion, other than those two that I'd like to suggest to you this morning, is that compassion can be seen in the patience God has towards his creation because of those who are walking right with him. Sometimes we don't think about that, that much of the compassion of God that we see, we see expressed in the world is because there are men and women who walk rightly with him. There are so many that don't, but those that do draw down from that resource of the compassion of God into the society in which they live. Compassion has been said to be a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress, together with a desire to alleviate it. You notice it, and you want to do something about it. That is compassion. It means feeling for the life condition of people and having the want to, the desire to do something to help their situation. Compassion, as we see in the, in the life of, of Jesus, as we see in the New Testament, as we see in God our Creator, is something that is full of action. It's different, than, it's different than sympathy. It's even different than empathy. It's different than comfort or pity. Compassion goes beyond that. Compassion moves into action. It may involve some of those other things, but it moves into action. The component of action is what separates it from these other things. Compassion gets involved. Even when others keep their distance, compassion jumps into the fire to act on behalf of another because it is incapable of sitting on the sideline. Are you getting a grasp of compassion? That's what compassion is, is exhibited by God, is exhibited in the life of Jesus, is exhibited uh, by the authors of the New Testament, and hopefully is exhibited in our lives. Compassion is a key element that runs a thread from Genesis to Revelation that is present in our Holy Scriptures. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't read a few Psalms because the Psalms are just completely full of comments about the compassion of God. If you want to look with me, look in Psalm 86, 15, in the book of Psalms. The Psalm, the, it actually is a song. It is a Psalm, uh, 86, uh, verse 15, that speaks of God. It says, 86, 15, But you, O Lord, are what? Compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God is full of love. He is long-suffering. He is compassionate. He is full of love. That is the very essence, one of the qualities, the characteristics, attributes of God himself. One of the passages that I just love is Psalm 103. And if you'll permit me to read that, hopefully this will be an inspiration for all of Psalm 103. I remember when I was growing up, this was one of the, the verses, actually the pastor that married us many years ago, would cite this verse many times at the end of the service, verses 1 and 2. But I'm going to read uh, a lot of this, this section to you in Psalms 103, 1 through 18. Listen carefully. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion 
who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is what? Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always excuse, nor will he harm. High as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, as the Father has, what? Compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that just beautiful? That those who fear the Lord can expect God's love and compassion in their lives for those who fear him not for those necessarily that turn away from him. His compassion still pours upon them, but when we fear him, when we honor him with our lives, his compassion is always on spigot. It's always available to us. He pours it out upon us. One more, Psalm 116, just a few chapters over. Psalm 116, verses 1 through 7. 116, 1 through 7. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O oh my soul for the Lord has been good to you. Folks, if that's not comforting to your soul, something's wrong with your soul, okay? Uh, those are psalms of praise of David and others that were praising God uh, in, in the psalms, and that, that is a, those are truths that God gives to us also today. I think I can safely say to you this morning that God desires the best for his creation. God is not some kind of evil tyrant that wants to punish us and flash lightning on us and strike us dead. He's a God of love. He wants to give the best to his creation. Even when we don't deserve it, God's compassion showered down upon us in so many ways. I noticed on your sign out here, I think your mission statement is sharing Jesus and what's the rest of it? Sharing Jesus and showing grace across generations. Good, you know it. That's great. If a mission statement is not repeatable, it's not a mission statement, is it? But grace is part of your reason for being as a church here. Do you know what grace is? Grace is actually when we receive something that we don't deserve. It's a gift. It's something that we give to others or that we receive is grace. And mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. We receive God's grace in salvation. We don't receive the punishment that we, we do all deserve uh, because of our sin and our wayward ways. By grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not from works so that no man may boast. 
okay? So the grace and mercy, the, the compassion of God that we receive is a gift that we, we receive from our Heavenly Father. Let's go back to sort of the beginning of the Bible and think about Noah. Noah's that guy that built a big boat, and a lot of people probably called him crazy because he was building his backyard, and they said, what kind of home construction project is that? But the Bible says that Noah uh, was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. But you know something? The scripture also tells us about something of the people of his time. They were a corrupt generation. They had completely turned their ways uh, before God upside down and followed pagan ways. God was sick, belly sick of his creation. He was so belly sick, he said, I'm going to destroy this corrupt generation. But because the fact that Noah was a man who feared God, who honored God, that was blameless before him in his time, God saved Noah and those closest to him. But that's all that was saved. But at the same time, it was necessary while he saved Noah because God is a just God that judgment came into play on this corrupt generation. We all know they did not humble themselves. They did not repent even though Noah declared that they should. And we know that judgment came. So God's, God's compassion, folks, is immeasurable. It's immense. But his judgment is also a reality. That day comes when we don't humble ourselves and come to fear the Lord. Think about Moses. Moses is a, is a big figure in the Old Testament. Uh, listen to what happened here. Well, let me, let me preface it just a little bit. This is, this is the second one-on-one -on -one encounter that Moses has with God. Second one, okay? Why is it not the first one? Well, because he had to come back and do the Ten Commandments again. Well, why did he have to do that? Because as he was coming down off the mountain after God had given him the Ten Commandments for the first time, he noticed that Aaron had helped the people build a golden calf that they were honoring and worshiping that idol rather than the Jehovah God that they knew they should be worshiping. Okay? His temper flared up and he broke the Ten Commandments. Okay, that's, that's the preface to this. Now, he's back with God on Mount Sinai. And you know what? I'm just imagining, it's just my wild imagination, I think that God might be a little bit ticked off with Moses. Like, we're going to have to repeat this thing because I gave it to you once and you broke it up. He may have been justified in his anger and breaking it up, but he's before God once more. Once more, And listen what God himself, the Lord, says in this audience of one with Moses in chapter 34 of Exodus, verses 4 through 7. Here's what it says. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones. He went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. Do you get the scene here? Moses is standing in front of a holy God, an audience of one. He's in his presence. And here's what the Lord says. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. We know what happened with that generation, don't we? They died out in the wilderness. Even Moses himself was not allowed to go into the promised land. He only led them up to the door. Okay? 
So God does punish, but God is gracious and compassionate and loving to the nth degree when people fear him. But when we get out of his will, when we don't seek God, a just God must provide punishment. Not all of God's positive qualities, even though he had to punish, his compassion and his gracious presence keeps us from being destroyed immediately. A generation passed, they had to die, and a new generation had to come up, and God, folks, never forgets his promises. He never forgets the things that he says. It came to fruition exactly like he said that that, that generation would die in the desert for their sin. But God expressed his compassion to the generation that was coming up and allowed them to fulfill the mission that he had for that people. His patience towards sinful mankind is a gift we do not deserve, but yet, but yet he allows us to experience it. When we experience God's compassion, it's a gift that he gives us. His compassion surrounds us day by day. Many times our eyes don't see it. Our lives are so busy that we can not really see the expression of God's compassion in our midst. But folks, it's always there when we seek him. It's a reservoir that has no bottom. Let's think about Old Testament history. I love Old Testament history. I, I took a, a course in seminary called Biblical Backgrounds. I wasn't gonna, sure I was going to make an F or an A. But I made an A+. Plus. I don't know how. But you know what I had to do? I had to memorize all the kings of Israel and Judah and something about every one of them. Oh, it was horrible. It was painful learning all of that. But do you know how many kings there actually were between 1025 and 586 before Christ? Do you know between the United Kingdom, which was only four kings going, going through uh, Solomon, and then the, king divide, the kingdom divided into the, the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. Do you know how, how many in that 439 years, do you know how many kings there were? Give me a number. 40? Good guess. A little bit more? A little bit less. There were 43. There were 43 kings during that 439 years. Some of them served many years, like 20-something years. Some of them served only a few months. But there were only 32 who honored God throughout their, uh, of the, of the, I'm sorry, only, only seven who honored God throughout their entire leadership period. There were 11 that honored, God, there were four that honored God, excuse me, during part of their term. So 32 of the 43 did not honor God during the, the length of their term. They either honored God seven all the time and four part of the time. They turned bad and evil in the latter part of their term as king. Do you know the 32 were so evil, they were so bad, they were so full of debauchery and wrong that the Bible says that those kings, folks, we're talking about the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're talking about the chosen nation of God. It says that they became so sinful and so evil that they were more evil than the heathen nations around them. Not only did they match what the heathen nations did, they went beyond it, even into sacrificing their own children. Really nasty, ugly things. These are the people of God, folks. These are the people who knew Jehovah God. They knew the history from which they had come. 
And even then, they went away from him. Some of those kings, those 32 kings, they, lived, they, they died terrible deaths, horrible diseases and things. Many of them were killed by their own family members. There, so there is a consequence, folks. There is a consequence for living evil in our lives and not fearing God. But those seven kings that lived for Jehovah God throughout their term, God blessed and multiplied their efforts. His compassion was poured out upon those kingships in ways, and he blessed the nation during those times in ways that I would say that probably could not have otherwise. 2 Kings 8 19 says, For the sake of his servant David, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah because he had promised to maintain a lamp for David and his descendants forever. You see, God promised, and in his compassion, he kept his promise despite the evil that his people lived. It broke his heart for sure, but his compassion was still there. His compassion is immeasurable, and it is long-suffering. You may say, well, you know, I can keep sinning for a certain period of time and God will forgive me. Yeah, that may be true. But God's judgment also comes, folks. His compassion is unending. His compassion is immeasurable, but also the judgment will come. Let's look at the life of Jesus. Oh, my. All kinds of examples we can give you about, about the life of Jesus. You know, the compassion of God is not just in the Old Testament. It's also in the New Testament. Jesus had a unique sense, a unique ability to just walk along the road. He was like a magnet. People would see him, and many people that you would not think would, would have the, the Spirit of God in them, they would, they would discern who he was, and they would start speaking to him. Sometimes evil spirits would begin to speak to him because they knew that he was the incarnate Son of God. One of those encounters in Matthew 28, uh, Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. Matthew 20, 29 through 34. Let's look and see what that says. Blind man, blindness. Jesus comes up on a blind man. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. Can you imagine the throng of people that were around Jesus? And he heard them calling. Other people said, go away, guys. You're bugging Jesus. Go away. But he stopped. And he turns toward them. He called them, and he asked them a question that he already knew the answer to. How about that? What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had what? Compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. They begged Jesus to restore their sight, and his compassion was poured out upon them. I think the example here, folks, is when we have a need in our lives, we call out to God, and his compassion is always there. It's always available to us. We may not be physically blind, but we have so many uh, failings in our lives that we need to pour ourselves out to God so that his compassion is expressed. Matthew chapter 15. Uh, Jesus feeds the 4,000. I'm not going to read this whole passage, but it says in verse 32 of chapter, chapter 15, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion 
for these people. They have already been with me three days. They have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. So Jesus can take care of blindness because of compassion. Jesus can take care of hunger because of compassion. And there's another one, leprosy. Have you ever, have you ever seen anybody, you ever seen a picture of leprosy? It's a horrid disease. It just sort of eats up your skin. It's sort of like little, I don't know, amoebas or, or insects or something just eat up your skin. It's very unpleasant. It was present in the day of Jesus, and it had been uh, present in the Old Testament times also. Do you know in the Old Testament times there actually was a provision in the law that said when a leper came towards a clean person, they literally, under the terms of the law, they had to raise their hands and, and holler out, unclean, unclean. They had to declare themselves so that the clean person could walk on the other side of the road away from them. It was a disease that marginalized people from society uh, in ways that was really not good, but uh, that's the reality of the way it was. Mark 1, verses 40 through 42. Uh, brief encounter of Jesus with a man with leprosy. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you're willing, how about that? He says to Jesus, if you want to, if you have compassion on me, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And I love this phrase, filled with compassion. Our Savior was filled with compassion when he saw this leper. Most people would have walked on the other side of the road. Jesus did not. Because of his compassionate heart, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand. He touched the man. Oh, folks, prohibited. Nobody touches a leper. Nobody does that. You might get that disease yourself. Didn't impact Jesus in the least. I am willing, Jesus said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cured. You know, I would say to you that Jesus would not have considered doing anything other than that because he was full of compassion for blind people, for hungry people, for sick people. The compassion of Jesus is poured out upon mankind. It is abundant. It is immeasurable. It is ever-present. And then one other. We won't read scripture on this, but the parable of the lost son. The parable of the lost son is one of the best-known parables in the New Testament. And the scripture says in, in Luke 15, 20, that when the father saw the son, his lost son, who had squandered all of his inheritance in wild living, when he came back down the road, his father got up and ran to him. Folks, this was not characteristic of a man of stature of wealth to, to pull up his tunic and run down the road. But he got up when he saw him at a distance and he ran down the road to his lost son because he had compassion in his heart for his son. We would be remiss in not saying that that father in the parable represents our heavenly father. When we are lost, he runs to us with compassion. He invites us to come unto him if we'll only return. It's a shame that so many folks have to get to the bottom of the barrel. They have to eat the pods that even the pigs won't eat in order to get back to God. We don't have to go that far, folks, because the arms of God are always open. His compassion and love is long-suffering and always present. Isaiah chapter 53 in the Old Testament. Let me read a little bit of this one. This is, this is a great passage in Isaiah. This is about our suffering Savior. You know, we can say, well, God doesn't really know about suffering. 
<laughs> Listen to this. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before, we, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like on a strange of us has turned in his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Brothers and sisters, that was written over seven hundred years before the time of Christ. That was a prophecy about the coming suffering Savior. Folks, we don't serve a Savior that doesn't know suffering. He bled and died on the cross for each one of us. There's no disputing that. He wants to alleviate pain and suffering in the lives of others. He knows what suffering is. Even though his primary mission was to seek and to save those who were spiritually lost, he also came to exemplify for us how we should relate to those in need of a compassionate touch which we are capable of giving if we so choose. Expressing compassion to other folks is a choice. We don't have to do it, but we have the example. Our Creator God, Jesus, the New Testament writers, all of them have given us examples of expressing compassion in our daily life existence. Let's look in the last part of what I want to say to you this morning in the New Testament. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3, th 3 through 5, the Apostle Paul had a lot to say about compassion. God had exemplified it. Uh, Jesus had exemplified it. But the writers of the New Testament said, Hey guys, if it's good enough for God, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for the New Testament church. These are the things that we're going to encourage you to do. We want you to be compa compassionate also. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, listen to what it says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, there's the word, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Comfort among the body of Christ. Compassion among the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.32 The mandate is be kind and, what's the word? Compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. The Apostle Paul gives that mandate to the early church. We need to express compassion one to another. And the last one in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other 
and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Perfect picture of how we as New Testament Christians should live with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and love in our lives. Do you see the thread? Are you capturing the essence of the thread of compassion? Folks, it's from the beginning of time until the end of time that the compassion of God, the immeasurable long-suffering and compassion of God is present. It's ever-present. And He can best pour it out on those who humble themselves and fear Him. God's compassion extends to those who don't, but also His judgment is a reality. The time will come if people don't repent. The Bible clearly models for us in the example of our Creator God and His Son Jesus, along with the writings of the early leaders of the faith, a definitive, a marked pattern. There's a pattern, a line, a definition of compassion for others. Many times because they couldn't help themselves, like the blind man, like the hungry people, like the leper. Many times God's compassion is poured out because of that circumstance, but also many times in spite of their unwise life decisions. God's compassion extends to those that he is calling to himself but haven't quite yet gotten there. His compassion still extends. Compassion is not a random thought, but is an ever-present reality. Let me say that again. Compassion is not some random thought. It is an ever-present reality. We, it's all around us all the time in God's creation. We're talking this morning about compassion as exhibited by our Creator God. Folks, even when we don't see it, even when we don't acknowledge it by choice, God's compassion is all around us and is expressed in so many ways. We sang a song at the beginning, I mean, at the, towards the end, a Great Is Thy Faithfulness. <coughs> Excuse me, that was by request. It's one of the hymns of the faith. Many of you know that hymn. Let me just read a few of the words to you quickly. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. Folks, that is the God that we serve. His compassions fail not. They're ever-present. They're always available to those who pursue them. Let me say to you this morning in closing that... uh, These are difficult times that we live in, aren't they? These are unprecedented times that we live in. Perhaps we have trouble knowing how to to, to relate to each other with love and compassion of God. And I just pray during these days, during these times that we live in America and we live in this world with so many problems, that we will appropriate that compassion of God for ourselves and exhibit it to other people. May we all approach life with intentional compassion and the way that we live. And it has to be done, folks, with intentionality. It just doesn't happen. If you want to live out compassion, if you want to express that in action to other people, it's a choice. You have to choose to do that. But I would say to you that God expects it of us, 
And we will all be better for living that way. May it be so. God's compassion. Let's pray. Father, we do not deserve your love, your grace, your mercy, your compassion. But we have eternally grateful hearts for the way that you shower yourself down upon us. Thank you, Heavenly Master, that we can experience your fullness and compassion, that we can appropriate that for ourselves and make it a reality in our own lives. You have shown us the way to love, to care for other people. I pray as New Testament Christians that we would be a people that would be found faithful in living out compassion as we influence those and impact those in our circle of influence. Each of us, when we depart from this place today, our paths take different, different routes. We touch different lives. But in each of those points of contact where you place us this week, I pray that we will live our lives with compassion, with love, with concern for other people as exhibited in your person. As a creator God, as a loving Savior. Thank you, Father, that... Uh, we can hear your word today. We pray that you'll take it, you'll multiply it, and use it as only you can. We love you and we praise you in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.